0: Well, what can I kind of miss this guy. <laughs> We've been sticking it out with him for the last month, and uh, we're going to bring it to a close today in the fourth chapter of Jonah. You have the scripture in your handout as well. If uh, you've got your app, it's going to be on the screens as well. Um, it's been four weeks of uh, getting to know him, I think getting to know the Ninevites a little bit, as well as getting to know God. I hope uh, that you have seen God's mercy and grace in the midst of all of this. Uh, and I hope you've found, uh, I hope maybe even you've allowed yourself to go, I know how Jonah feels. Uh, I hope that uh, that you've seen a part of maybe a vulnerability that maybe there are some things I don't understand. And I understand Jonah being upset about this. I think that's uh, a part of us, our humanity and traveling through scripture that God wants to open up for us. And, and that's why he wants to have a dialogue like he does with Jonah here. So There are two questions that uh, the whole book is about. And the first question is, you know, did Jonah have a right to be angry? And God asked him that. God says, Jonah, you know, is it right for you to be angry? He asked him that, of course, right after he found out the Ninevites repented. And uh, then, you know, as we're going to see in the story today, when uh, God made some provision for him, and then the provision was gone, he got angry again. And so anger, a matter of fact, I think it's five times in this book we see anger expressed through this. And Jonah's just an angry prophet. You know, he's mad about his assignment, and he's mad, he's mad with God. And I, that's another thing I really appreciate about Scripture is that it's very honest with us. I mean, is it right? Is it okay for Jonah to be mad about what he's mad about? Is it okay for you to be angry when God uh, does some things you don't like? <laughs> Or you don't understand? I mean, is it okay for you, you to be angry about injustices? Is it okay for you to be angry if someone you love has been brutalized or hurt? Some injustice has happened in their life. Is it right for you to be angry and, and to think, gosh, I hope they get what they you know, have coming to them. Those people who hurt the one that I love. Is that right? Is that good? I mean, is that human? And that's a big question, and God asks it back. And let's don't read too much into the question right yet, okay, until we finish up this whole story. Is it right? I mean, for, you know, let's don't all go religious on this thing this morning, okay? That's that's what I'm saying. You know, take off your church clothes for a little bit and be human. And, And just be human and go, okay, Tim wants us to really, you know, how we really feel. Not how we think the church wants us to feel. How we feel with our humanity when someone we love is hurt. When there is some injustice in the world and we look at it and we go, I don't get this. Why is this happening? How could this happen? Was it right for Jonah to be angry because the Ninevites were the most brutal people on the face of the planet? Did you know the Nazis actually, Hitler and uh, the SS and the leaders studied the Assyrians, which were the Ninevites, studied them to see how to brutalize people? I mean, they were a pattern, a template for the Nazis. That's how awful the Assyrians, the Ninevites were. These were very wicked, evil people who did atrocities, unbelievable atrocities to the Israelites and other people in the area. And, you know, this was Israel was Jonah's people. He loved them. And now God gives him a word to go to this city and to preach repentance and, 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 tell, and tell them, if you don't turn, you know, you're burn. <laughs> if you don't do, you know. And Jonah's like, you shouldn't even give them the option. You should just bomb them. You shouldn't give them the option. Just do it. I mean, was it right for Jonah to feel that way when maybe he had seen family members? Maybe he had, he had, he had definitely seen Israel tortured, brutalized. But there's another question, too, in Jonah. And that is God's question that we read when he says, Is it not right that I have compassion on my creation? Is it not right that I have concern for my creation? So we've got a dilemma this morning. The same dilemma Jonah had, in a way. And there's going to be a tension in the room, and it's good. It's a healthy tension. So you've got to fill-in in your handout. It's just three again, like I normally do, and uh, you can track along with me. You should have a pen. It's on the back of, uh, of your handout. I'm going to read the fourth chapter, and it's in, like I said, again, your scriptures there, and there's, a, there's uh, some words, uh, definitions that I put in the scripture today to help maybe brighten it up a bit for you to understand what John is saying, his description of God, uh, so we can get ourselves in the right context. So let's read this, the last chapter. And uh, we'll jump into it. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. That is, the Ninevites repented. This doesn't seem right. Right? But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger And abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now Lord, take away my life. For it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter. Sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. (laughs) But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. Father, bless the reading of your word this morning. Breathe life on it. Uh, God, as we bring this uh, series to a close, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. I ask, Lord, today that uh, there will be... I know there are people here today, God, whom you are calling and you are wooing, just as you wooed the Ninevites and you wooed Jonah to yourself. Lord, today I pray that today is the day they stand before you and say, I'm going to follow you. This is the beginning of their destiny, their new life, their purpose today. So I pray you begin your work even right now in their hearts. And also in all of our hearts, Lord, to see what you're trying to teach us through this book. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, if you don't know the whole story of Jonah, he's, uh, he's a guy who spoke for God, prophet, who got a word again, didn't want to deliver it, so he tried. He thought maybe if he could hightail it out of of town, then maybe the word would not, he wouldn't have to deliver the word. Well, God doesn't let you off the hook that easy. He gets on a boat, he takes off, storm comes up, which God created in order to get his attention, get him back on track. Uh, the sailors go, what's going on? They find out it's Jonah. Jonah says, if you throw me overboard, the seas are going to calm down. God is after me, Tim's paraphrase. And, uh, you know, he's going to be after me. You guys don't have to suffer if you just get rid of me. I can't jump over the side myself, but you guys can throw me over the side because you're sailors and you're strong. And so they take him. It doesn't say that, but they, take, they throw him over. They, t- they take him. They throw him over the side. The sailors go, God, don't hold the death of this innocent man against us. They begin to call, the sailors begin to call him the real true God. Amazing story. They have a transition, a change of heart from idols to the one true God in that moment when they are struggling with the seas to try to save Jonah's life. They throw him overboard. Sure enough, the ocean settles down. Jonah is going down, going down, going down. Seaweed, this is in there, wraps around his head. Wraps around his head. He goes to the bottom and... Just when he thinks it's over, and uh, it's all in here, you can read it. And, um, you know, this big fish comes along, swallows him up. And the Hebrew has, a, it's descriptive of almost like a womb. It's God's womb of death, or it could be a womb of life. Either way, if God does not do something here, he's going to die, and he knows it. But it's possible he could be rebirthed if he answers the call And finally, after three days in this fish, he goes, okay, God, I get it. I will go to the Ninevites, and I will give the word you gave me. Immediately, the fish, nature responds to God really quickly. But we humans, (laughs) you know, the fish, the sea, all of this responds to God immediately. The fish jumps up, burps him out on the land. He goes to Nineveh. He has three days. It takes three days to go through the city. That's how big it is. And so he has three days to preach it. The, the, the sermon for him is a simple sermon. That is, Assyrians or Ninevites, if you don't turn from God in the next 40 days, then you're out of here. You better turn, repent of the way you've been doing life, or it's over. Well, the Ninevites respond the first day. He doesn't even get to go in the three days, you know. Word gets out and gets passed around this huge city, and everybody begins to repent. And so, Jonah is just totally exasperated. He's like, what? You know, I didn't even get to preach three days. And these moron heathens, you know, are, are like, they're like repenting. And so, he goes outside the city. He sits down to wait, it says, because he's thinking, if I wait the 40 days out, 39 now, 39 days. If I wait the 39 days out, maybe, just maybe God will still bomb them. You know, Maybe. So I'm going to sit out here, but I'm not happy about it, God. I just want you to know, I am really not happy about this. And as we said earlier, I mean, Jonah has probably seen some atrocities. And his, his looking at Nineveh and the Assyrians is just not the way God's looking at it right now. And it's a good question. Jonah, do you have, you know, is it right for you to be so angry? And uh, I think there are three things we can take away this morning from this. And in your fill-in, your first fill-in is this. God's love for His creation, God's love for His creation is front and center in this book. His love and His concern and His compassion. I mean, when you read through the wording, I mean, it it is funny, isn't it, that Jonah himself describes God? I mean, there's a lot of humor in this book, honestly. I mean, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Then he prays, isn't this what I said, Lord? When I was still at home, like when he first got the word, before he ever went down into Joppa to, to, to try to get away from God, he knew it. The minute God gave him this word, he knew this. What did he knew? No, I knew that you are a new, uh, I'm Southern. Well, I knew that, I knew that you are a gracious, listen to this, gracious, that's all merciful. Like, okay, God, I knew you were gracious and all-merciful, compassionate. That's like a womb of love, description of, of a place of total love and care. I knew you were a God who loved your creation like a mother loves it. I knew you were. It's making him angry that God's like this. He's describing a wonderful God, slow to anger. He's angry, but God's slow to anger. God never gets angry at Jonah here. Do you see this? He never gets angry. He keeps trying to have a dialogue with him. Slow to anger and abounding in love. Has said that's a word of extreme love. I mean, a, an ongoing love, a very special love. And Jonah knows all of this very well, that this is the God that he is the prophet for. And he's like, doggone it, I just wish this... This time, he would have been a lot more fiercer, you know, than, but I knew he was like this. And he, he says, a God who relents from sending calamity. Doesn't mean repents. Relents means that if his creation responds a certain way, he will step in and bear the brunt himself in order to redeem that that part of humanity back. I knew you were like that, that though they stand under judgment, I knew you were a God who relents of sending that judgment if someone was to repent. And then he goes, now, Lord, kill me. I mean, basically that's what he says. You know, like he's, he's, he is the passive-aggressive prophet. I mean, you know, he's like, uh, oh, you want to be like that? Just kill me. I just wish I was dead. You know, it's like one of those conversations he's having. But God, front and center through this entire story, is his incredible love for all of creation. I mean, look how much creation is even involved in this. You've got the sea, the wind, the sailors. You've got Jonah, the Ninevites. And then we get to the end, we have a plant that God grows to take care of Jonah, right? Then he sends a worm, too. Eats the plant. Then he sends a burning, scorching wind. All of this to get his attention. All to try to engage Jonah in a conversation. It seems like God's redemptive purposes always involves his people. Like whatever he is going to do on this earth, he is going to do through his people. Like Jonah, I want you to be a part of this. You are my prophet. You say my words to the people that I care about. I created these people. Shouldn't I care for them? Front and center in all of this is God's abounding, unrelenting love. And of course, the cross is the epitome of the love of God. It's not any stronger or more obvious than the cross of Jesus Christ, of how much God loves us. When Jesus was uh, headed toward Jerusalem, and he looked out at the city knowing that they were going to reject him, it says in Luke and in Matthew that he wept, that he he wept over Jerusalem, and that that is that his insides have you ever been have you ever grieved so intensely that you felt your insides cramping? I know some of you have. I know I have. When you lose somebody or you're in a situation and you're in you're crying so hard, you just you feel you feel your insides. That's the description of the way Jesus felt when he looked at Jerusalem. When, oh, Jerusalem, in another passage. Oh, Jerusalem, you who stoned the prophets. I would have gathered you as a hen gathers its chips, chicks to itself. Isn't that a picture? A hen that just grabs all the chicks and brings it back under its... But it won't. And it doesn't. And true to his prophecy in 70 A.D., Jerusalem was ransacked, the temple torn down, just like he said. If they had returned, if they had repented, if they had recognized... It would have been entirely different, but it wasn't. So we have a picture of God's love and concern front and center in Jonah, but also all through the Scripture, and especially right up to Jesus Christ, right up to what he did, how he lived life, and what he gave in order for us to see the love that God has for his creation. Your second feeling is this, and this is something to notice. That God doesn't condemn Jonah's anger. He doesn't condemn Jonah's anger. That's why I said, let's don't, you know, let's. You know, here here's here's how we church people do it. God is love. And he loves everybody, and God would forgive everybody. When inside you know there's some people you want dead. (laughs) Just saying. Just saying. I mean, come on. You know, when we come into church and God is love and, and, and see, God is trying to get Jonah to have a conversation with him. He's trying to get Jonah to understand his heart and trying to see creation the way he sees creation. But he never condemns Jonah for his anger. Uh, let me just read some statements too. To you, and uh, the first service did really good with this. They nodded when they went. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, uh, <laughs> all right, you're in a safe place here. You can do it. Okay. Okay. This is that God shouldn't be so merciful, right? He shouldn't be a God, a God who forgives violently evil people, even if they repent. Evil should be punished. All right. I got a few people. Oh, is this right? All right. I, Here's another one. Justice requires people suffer the full consequences of their actions in order for justice to prevail. All right? We're, going, we're on a roll here. I'm getting honest. Okay. Too much evil. There's just too much evil in Nineveh. Too much. They couldn't possibly truly repent. Forgiveness cannot effectively begin a new life for someone like them. Kind of like a deathbed confession. Kind of like what I story I told you about Rusty Woomer last week. That that couldn't possibly be real. Not after the devastation that he, he brought to so many families in this in Georgetown County. No way. And you'll have to go back and listen to the podcast. If, if you don't know about this atrocity that happened right here in 1979. And uh, makes sense, right? How about this one? This hurts God's reputation. People need to be able to trust in a consistent, God-given cosmic order. Trust in an ultimate structure of moral universe is necessary for faith in God and ethical living. This just breaks the whole routine. If God has mercy on these kind of people, hey, what can I mean, who knows what's next? The cross? I mean, who knows? Um Living faithfully loses its positive value if evil people are forgiven through simple forgiveness. Struggling daily to obey God's law looks foolish when forgiveness is given freely. I struggle. I'm trying to be obedient, and these guys get off the hook after all they've done with just in one day, one more. The triumph of evil living is flaunted. If the evil escape judgment in the last days through repentance. Flaunting is too much for the victims of evil actions. And those who are weary of those who are escaping punishment. Like the families of which Rusty Wimmer and they still suffer from. It's just too much for people. Some of you in this room. Some of us in families. We've had loved ones who have suffered things. And we're like for someone like the Ninevites to get off the hook like that just flies in the face of the suffering that I've suffered, that people I love have suffered. It's just not right. All of that makes sense to me. All of that is very human and we are humans. God in the midst of all of this with Jonah, he never rebukes Jonah. He keeps trying to engage him and that, that tension that we have this morning of God's Wonderful, amazing, compassionate love on a group of people that absolutely don't deserve it is hard to deal with. Because we've got an extreme example. An extreme example. So, what is God trying to teach us about who He is and how He sees His creation? What is He trying to get us to understand? This whole word repentance, uh, your scripture, your version may, may say, Nineveh will be overthrown. That was the word that Jonah used when he was preaching this message. He says, in 40 days, if you do not repent, Nineveh will be overthrown or overturned, depending on what kind of translation you have. Well, that word overthrown or overturned, has, it means death. It means death is going to come to you if you do not Repent. But there are two ways to die. And it's tied up in this word for being overthrown or overturned. And that is one way you die to your old life. And you begin life differently and you live it differently. The other death is God just comes and you cease to exist anymore. You're gone. He's going to come in and rampage and take you out. That is in that judgment of God call by Jonah. Jonah's wanting the last one. Come bomb him. Take him out, God. Don't give him an opportunity to die to self and to live for you. But they choose what? They repent. And they turn. They turn to God. And it makes him mad. It makes him mad. And it's okay. God doesn't say that's wrong. God tries to work with him through it. Don't look for me to solve this this morning now. This tension, I know. See, this tension is healthy. It's healthy for us to be in this tension because it causes a conversation with God. It it just, you know, the calling of God is highly relational and the love that God has for his creation is highly relational. Your last feeling is this, and that is that God uses Jonah's concern to reveal God's motivations. God uses Jonah's concern to reveal God's motivations. I mean, Jonah is concerned about his comfort, right? Or discomfort. Got the plant. He wants the plant to stick around and give him comfort. God is concerned with destruction. Kind of typical. We're, We're concerned with our discomfort and God's concerned with destruction. So the story is actually really funny. And he uses a metaphor to try to get Jonah's attention to show what his true motivations are. Jonah goes outside the city. He builds a lean-to shack, a sukkah. It's, uh, it's a, like a temporary lean-to that the Israelites would use. It has a long history uh, in the Feast of Booths and all. And, and it's, it speaks prophetically, actually, as well. But it's a, it's a rickety. It doesn't give him much comfort. doesn't take the sun much off of his head. And so God, while he's resting and stewing and mad, God calls this beautiful plant with huge leaves to grow up. And it gives him shelter. And it's cool. And, and we see Jonah go from extremely angry to very happy. And he falls asleep underneath this beautiful green tree. But then God brings a worm. You see how nature, God's using all of nature to get his attention. Like, I'm, I'm the God of all of it. And the worm eats the plant. The plant shrivels up. And if that wasn't bad enough, God sends a blazing east wind from the desert to scorch his head. And uh, now he's angry again and he wants to die again. And what does God say to him? He says, you were very happy and ang- but angry when you lost the plant that you had nothing to do with. I created the plant and you were happy with it until it died. I have 120,000 people that I created. 120,000 who don't know their left hand from their right hand, which means they are totally ignorant of any other life than a violent life. Shouldn't I be concerned about them? Of course, he tags it with, and a lot of animals. This is the only book in the Bible I know that ends like that. It's like, you know, and a lot of animals. So all you animal lovers, you're like, yes. Uh, <laughs> God is concerned with animals, and, uh, and there were, and he was concerned with them. So God is trying to get Jonah to say, look, you had nothing to do with the Ninevites being on the face of this planet. You did not. I created everybody on this planet. Shouldn't I be concerned with them? Shouldn't I have concern? Trying to get Jonah to talk. Jonah never really engages with God. Never really has a conversation. And we're left with the story. Now, here's part of the story you don't know. And we're going to close this up. Like I said, that overthrown, overturned word, Nineveh will be overthrown or overturned if it doesn't repent, has those two ways of death. One is death to self in repentance and turning to God, and the other is death, right? Well, this generation of Ninevites, they did. They turned to God. But it was about 90 years later, in 612 B.C., that things changed again, and God allowed the Babylonians to come in and totally annihilate and destroy the Ninevites. See, God is a God of justice. But He is a God of love and compassion for His creation. His heart is for all of His creation to turn to Him and to follow Him. But there is justice coming. Justice in taking Christ into your life for your sins and turning and following Him. Or the justice of death eventually. God so much more wants all of us and wanted the Ninevites to turn and come to him. And as we've read over the last few weeks, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But with their sins, he will not always strive. God is long-suffering. We read this. We see Jesus going to the cross. That is how long-suffering it is and what he went through in order to redeem us. And now his call is to all of us to come and follow him and to be a part. And isn't it wonderful like Jonah, we get to be a part of this. It's not just say a prayer and go home. It's turn to God and let's follow him into this world and do what we're called to do. Let's pray.